How about now? Oh, yeah. I think about the one who wrote that song, and I think about him losing his wife and his children in a mid-Atlantic crossing, and he's still able to write that, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, Job is nuts. It's a tough book. Matt uh, had the great analogy a couple weeks ago where he said Proverbs is a bachelor's degree, and Ecclesiastes, which we did last summer, was the master's, and Job is a doctorate. I hate to tell you, I'm nowhere near at the doctorate level of explaining scripture. So you may walk away today with more questions than you do answers. And you may do that all summer. And that's okay. Because God is way big enough for your questions and for your grief and for your hurt and for your pain. I know so many of you and my wife and I, we've all gone through stuff that you just, why? How? What happened? What's going on? Where's God in the middle of all this? And yet, He's there. It may have to be, I'm so happy, so very happy, <laughs> but he's there, and he brings that joy and that life in there. So uh, today, Matt asked me to share. He doesn't give up the pulpit easy, so I'll try to you know, make it work here. He said, um, it might be nice to have an older person's perspective on Job. So I kind of looked around and thought, oh, wait, you're talking about me. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I, re I really appreciate that. Saw a birthday card the other day that said that uh, it's strange being the same age as old people. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is strange because I, you know, I think I'm about 25 or 30 and then I go by the mirror. It's like, hey, who is that guy? What's going on there? Um, the task today, uh, Matt and I had a little bit different questions on Job and he thought it might be nice to kind of explore some of those questions a little bit. So I kind of been thinking about those for about a month, kind of working on the questions and uh, not really very much closer to the answer than before, but I'll give you my reflections on it. And then maybe to fly about, you know, 40,000 feet above and give you an overview of Job, uh, the things that I think are going to be essential as we go through this um, uh, 12 weeks. It was easier last time I did this on Ecclesiastes, I could steal whatever Matt did. And then I could just kind of, make, oh yeah, this is what I think. Um, but I have to kind of do it up front today, so that's fine. I'm also missing Jared, because uh, I, I kind of grew up a little Jesus revolution, a little bit charismatic, a little bit, say it now. Come on, preach it, brother. Can you get a hallelujah? Amen. And uh, you guys are a little more the frozen chosen sometimes, and that's okay. It's okay. But if you feel it, if you feel it, or if you see I'm sad and down, just kind of give me a, come on, brother, preach it, preach it, share Jesus. Uh, I would like that. I appreciate that. And uh, if I lose these, Lauren has promised to give me his reading glasses. So sometimes when you preach, stuff flies. So you never know what's going to happen to it. Um, there are four essential te texts out of Job that I want you to just sit with. And I just cherry-picked what I thought were the most beautiful, amazing, incredible responses, and probably the thing to most learn from those 42 chapters. So I just kind of want to walk through those really quick, or slow, and uh, let us deal with them. Job 1, Job got up and he tore his robe. He shaved his head and he threw himself down with his face to the ground. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Despite all this, Job did not sin, and he did not blame God. Yeah. Job 5. This is actually one of the friends, and the friends are tricky. You know, when you read Job, you really got to pay attention to who's talking. Because the friends are on it, and they're off it, and they're crazy, and they're down, and they're up, and they're all around. The friends are us. Does that make sense? 
Like the friends are us. We don't maybe necessarily see life exactly, and we kind of twist things around. But I thought this was pretty awesome from the, uh, the first speech. Job 5, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. You know, it makes you think of Proverbs. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father, the son in whom is delight, he delights. And I know in the chastening in my life, I haven't really felt that. Like, thanks, that felt great. But he's delighting in me as he's maybe knocking me upside the head just a little bit. Okay. Um, Job 14, excuse me, Job 13. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Though he cut me down, I will praise him. And finally, Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes behold, shall behold, and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. You know, if you get anything today, you're getting a lot of scripture, okay? So that, that seemed kind of safe to me. Um, it's a beautiful passage in Hebrews. I'm going to read you the first part at the beginning and the whole text at the end. But I'm going to let you sit in just the power and the majesty and the sovereignty of God. Because one of the things that's, that's hard, um, you know, the, Matt makes us go through Advent, right? Where we have to be sad songs all the way up until Christmas Day. Because we're waiting for the Savior. We're waiting for the joy. And we don't get to sing um, Joy to the World until after Christmas, right? Because the baby hasn't been born yet. And they're just waiting. I feel like Job's a little bit of that too. Because we're going to rest and, and dwell in the suffering and the pain a little bit. And we're not going to quite see the full redemption uh, until Christ comes, right? But I'm going to share this, the redemption part of this at the very end of the sermon. Because I can cheat. Because what's he going to do? He's in Michigan, right? Can he shut me down from Michigan? I don't think so. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is nothing hidden from God. All things are naked and open to the eyes of whom we must give account. All right, here we go. We are in need of redemption and transformation in the gospel story. Uh, Job, like Ecclesiastes, is going to try us this summer as we sit under the reality of suffering and under the immenseness of God's sovereignty and majesty. Unlike us, however, Job, a righteous sufferer, must live through this suffering without the revealed knowledge of Jesus and his redeeming death and resurrection. We have a real advantage over him, I think. All right, three things I know I don't know, right? You guys know that the most dangerous things in your life are the things that you don't know that you don't know. Those are dangerous, right? Because they're the ones that are going to come bite you um, because you just don't know that you don't know them. But here's three things I know I don't know, and uh, let me share those. As I look at Job, I don't get the children. That's never quite made sense to me. His ten children die as, as you know, the storm comes and kills them and all that. And then he gets 10 new children at the back end, right? How does that work exactly? I have a minor answer maybe, but I don't get that. 
Okay? And you guys probably have a lot of questions with Job. If you don't have any questions this summer over Job, you're not paying attention. You really need to dig into this thing and try to figure it out a little bit. Because that's where we're at. And it's going to be fun. But I don't get the children. Things I know I don't know. God is the one who initiates and instigates this event. Right? A lot of times people want to push it off on Satan. But Satan's like a bit actor in, in Job. He's just kind of this little accuser that comes in and does this thing. But if you listen to the scripture, it says, God says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? So in some ways, God is a part of this, right? And if you're a Christian and not a Zoroastrian, you believe that God is infinitely bigger and greater than Satan. That Satan's a created being that is here with God's acceptance for a while and will be gone when God wants him gone. Snuffed out, right? Zoroastrians, which you see a lot like in Star Wars and stuff like that, you got this equality kind of thing where good and evil are fighting and we don't know who's going to win. We're not sure. Sometimes the dark side and sometimes the force. We don't know. But in Christianity, God is infinitely superior and sovereign and beyond. So ultimately, we need to, God can handle it. When horrible things happen in your life, when sadness happens, when cancer happens, when things happen that you didn't expect or didn't want, um, just go right to God. Go right to him because he's the one in control of the universe. Talk to him. Cry to him. Pray to him. Speak to him. And let's get right to the point because he is the one that's in control of all things and he is the one that can redeem and heal and transform and make life come from death. So don't be afraid of that. I guess you saw my answer there on that. Um, the, the, the third thing I know I don't know is God's response at the end. Those speeches really mystify me. There's like this dragon, and there's a leviathan, and there's these beasts. And I'm like, God, what are you saying to Job? I don't even get it. So Matt is going to straighten all that out. Fair enough? Yeah, we'll let him deal with that, because he's excited about it. He's like, well, don't you know that the dragon means this, and the Leviathan means this, and this is going to do that? And I'm like, no, I don't know. It makes no sense to me. So give me another cup of coffee, and let's talk about it. All right, four things that I think I might know about Job. And this is kind of the big vision of Job here a little bit. Things that might help you focus and think as we walk through Job just a little bit, Okay. One of the most important things uh, when you're reading the Bible is those things that go without being said. In other words, you swim in a culture. You live in a certain America, in a world culture, in Instagram, and face chat, and book, book lip, or whatever those things are. You live in all that stuff, right? And if you're like me, the voice is in your head all the time. Ding! These people did this. This is going this. And after a while, you have to just throw the phone and shut them up. Okay, But we swim in a certain culture. Is our culture the biblical culture? I don't think so. Okay, And so the biblical glasses that we put on are going to be different than America 2023. Okay, And to understand, Job, if you go with the American vision, if you go with the world vision right now, it's going to look a little strange because what's God saying in Isaiah? My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways, right? So it might look a little bit different. Um, here's something from a book called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. Maybe he can say it better than I said it. The most powerful cultural values are those which go without being said. It is very hard to know what goes without being said in another culture. But often, we're not even aware of what goes without being said within our own culture. 
because we swim in it. We live in it, right? Um, this is why misunderstanding and misinterpretation happen. When a passage of Scripture appears to leave out a piece of the puzzle, because some, it is because something went without being said. We instinctively fill the gap with a piece from our own culture. All right? So the idea there is to really um, be aware of your presuppositions, of your givens, of the things that you walk into the game with, right? Okay? It's a quick example. When we got married, I grew up in this family. I love my family, but crazy talk. I mean, it was a little wild. Kim grew up in this family, and it was cool too, but we both had a lot of presuppositions about what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a woman, what it meant to be a husband, what it meant to be a father, how that was going to all going to work and operate. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's not how we do things. Yeah. So that was marriage, right? And thir- we just celebrated 39, day- 39 days, 39 years, uh, a couple of days ago. And Thank you. Yeah, 39 is good. And we've been working through it, right? We've been cranking through it. And, and a lot of headbutting, a lot of loving, a lot of stuff going on. But we just had to get through those presuppositions and go, are those ours? What's the biblical presupposition? Where do we want to go? What do we want this family to look like? What legacy do we want to die from our old families? And what do we want to live and go forward? You know, if you're not willing to get in there and wrestle and fight, just don't even worry about marriage. I mean, marriage is about getting after it, right? And find the joy in that. That's fun. I mean, it is, it is fun. Um, okay, so the 2023 presupposition that I think we come to Job with, which I think messes up our ability to understand what's going on here. Our presupposition, I believe, is that suffering is to be avoided at all costs. We negotiate, we buy our way out of it, we self-medicate, we run, we click on our phone, we eat. Anybody know what that's about? Anybody ever had that? See, we got no amens out here. There's nobody who's like stressed and like, oh yeah, a couple of Doritos, seven Doritos, 700 Doritos, here we go, you know. There, you, come on, you guys gotta tell the truth. That's what I mean, I need a little amen here once in a while. Yeah, we binge watch stuff. I love the way they do that on the TV. You're just done with the episode. The next one starts in 10 seconds. You're back onto it. All right. That's the culture we live in. Suffering is to be avoided, to be medicated, to be eliminated. Uh, The biblical view is that suffering happens. Suffering happens. It's going to happen. Pain, stress, loss, sadness, grief, brokenness. Suffering can be redemptive. Think Jesus on the cross. Think 1 Peter. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Suffering purifies like a fire. It focuses on us on eternal truth rather than present vapor. In this biblical view, we turn into the suffering. We face the suffering. We embrace the suffering. Yeah, I mean, I like that. And that's so true. It's the only way to get through it. Because you know that you can run for all your life, right? For all your life. And you can figure out some funky way around it. It doesn't work. So we face and we embrace. We cry out. We weep. We ache. And ultimately echo David's prayer in Psalm 57. And we shelter under the shadow of his wing. David had his measure of suffering. Listen to Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. 
I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes. I cry out to the Most High, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I like that. Um, this is just a little thought about the children. And I'm, I still haven't answered the thing problem with the children. I haven't quite figured that out. But um, here and now is all there is in 2023, right? And I think I've been corrupted by that. Oh, I believe in heaven. I believe it's going to be cool and great. And I'm excited about heaven. But I don't know. Do I, am I really? Like that's something I say. But in my heart of hearts, could I echo what Paul says? Could I say, well, it's better for me to go to heaven, but it's better for you guys, so I'll stay here, you know, in Philippians. Could I really echo that? Or will I just cling to this earth, cling to the pleasures of this earth, cling to the next TV show, cling to those things? Do I really believe that being in the presence of God, being resurrected, being transformed, being given a new body, living in a new heaven and a new earth, free from my sin, covered by the blood of Jesus, filled with the goodness and the glory and the beauty of God. Do I really believe that's better? <sighs> Maybe not. And so from that perspective, it was probably better for those 10 kids to die <laughs> and to go on to heaven. I still can't figure it out. But that's one thing I was thinking about that. You know, I, was think I was just thinking about that a little bit. All right. In 2023, we, may, we know so, we think we know so much. Are we a, a cocky culture? <laughs> are we arrogant, right? Uh, we're really arrogant. We think we know so much. We are the makers and the masters of our destiny. Honestly, not without some cause. Truly, if we were transported from 1200 AD to the present, we would be floored and flabbergasted by our technological and medical prowess. Friend of mine just got a new liver. What? It's the most complex organ in the body relative to how much it goes in and out, the most connections to it. This liver's gone, this liver's in. He's doing all right. People get new hearts. People get new knees. People get all kinds of stuff, all kinds of amazing things. The automobile. See, this is when we swim in it. If you're not every once in a while just stunned by your car, you're a dummy, okay? <laughs> Because your car is so amazing. There are not thousands, but tens of thousands of different little innovations that have built the whole thing. It goes from 20 below zero to 120 degrees heat. It cools you off. It brings you Sirius XM. And you just cruise, and you're going 90 miles an hour. And you don't even know how fast that is until you stop and hit somebody, right? It's amazing. I've seen little cars that have these airbags, and I've seen them crunched to death. And people walk out of them. Whoa, I just impacted at 70 miles an hour, and I'm alive. You, you think about the innovation to make a windshield wiper. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Originally, it was Uncle Bob with a rag, right? I, I could go on. The car freaks me out, you know? How to build the rubber exactly around the gasket so it doesn't dry out, and it doesn't, you know, so that I don't even get it. It's too much. Okay, we could go on and on with how amazing things are, but that's not the point. Somehow we think we created ourselves and we sustain our very existence. Arrogantly, we shake our fist at God 
and we put him on trial for the world he created. How dare he make a world where suffering and evil exist? Wow. I've had people I know and love dearly tell me that. And I'm like, no. Don't shake your fist at God. Don't say that to him. You are so blessed to have one more breath. How dare you shake your fist at God? Don't do that. Humble yourself. Quit being so arrogant. The biblical view is this, okay? Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Wow. That's the, that's the filter I want to see the universe with. Not because it just makes me happy to think I'm a sheep, but because it's true. That's the truth. I, can, I can't sustain myself one more minute. I can't guarantee to you that I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I, I, I got nothing. I can't protect my children. You know how hard that is to have your children go out in the world and you realize you, you got nothing? How are you going to protect them? I can't. God and God alone. All right. Our very breath and life and every good gift we enjoy flow from him. In reality, we can, can we guarantee we'll wake up tomorrow? Do we even control our next breath? Actually, we're clay and vapor, utterly dependent creatures. Here today, gone tomorrow. Think Ecclesiastes. Think last summer. As Paul said to the Corinthians, what do you have that was not given to you? <laughs> what do you have that was not? Whether you're the billionest billionaire or the poorest poor, what do you have that wasn't given to you? Paul testifies with Job. Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Yeah, amen. Thank you. <laughs> I need that. Um, all right. So those are a few things about that water we swim in. Second point, I want you, when you read Job this summer and you listen to it, to pay real close attention to what is spe who's speaking. If you don't do that, the book of Job will make no sense. Is this one of the three friends? Is this the fourth friend? Is this God? Is this Job? Who's talking? All right. Um, particular, pay attention to the voice of his friends. They are all over the place. We are Job's friends. I am Job's friend. It's so easy to be harsh on the friends and harsh on the wife. But you know what? We're those people. We really are. It's funny, like everybody gets all mad at Peter, like, well, Peter denied Jesus and ran away. If you read the Gospels, it says, who, who ran away? They all ran away, right? It wasn't just Peter. They all ran away. But of course, we're grumpy at Peter for fun. I don't know why. But it's the same thing with Job's friends. Oh, they're so dumb. How dare they? You know, come on. We're, we're them. The friends sit seven days with Job in silence and dismay at what has befallen him. Oh, that I could ever be that good of a friend. <laughs> I doubt I could sit five minutes before I would get so full of myself that I'd go, well, hey, Job, let me tell you the way it is, because I know stuff, right? I mean, that's what I do as a dad. I've got four kids, and every once in a while, you know, I'll go, hey, guys, I know stuff. Just listen. I know stuff. That's kind of my role as a dad, to know stuff, you know? And the greatest moment as a dad is when they ask you a question, isn't it? My, kid, my daughter came in and go, Dad, kind of give me the thing on tires. 
yeah, I'll tell you about tires. And man, I had a whole 50. He goes, man, you had a 15-minute speech on that, didn't you? I go, yeah, I'm the dad. I know stuff. I'm going to tell you about tires. It was too much for her. She hasn't asked me much since then. Um, <laughs> the friends speak truths and half-truths. They comfort and they wound. They harshly speak way too much. And they withhold a kind word that ought to comfort and soothe. They trust far too much in good works and in quid pro quo. As they anxiously try to figure out this whole suffering thing and they try to save Job and themselves. They sometimes speak wisely and often foolishly. And in the end, they need Job in chapter 42 or 38, somewhere in there. They need Job to pray for them as they offer sacrifices to cover their sin just as we need Jesus to cover our sin, right? Which is the real one. All right, third thing I think I know from Job, okay? And that is the biblical testimony says that God is utterly, completely sovereign. That he rules over all. That every molecule in the universe is his, okay? Now, how do you balance that with your agency? You make choices. You make decisions. Your freedom how do you balance God's sovereignty? Because if there's one grain of sand not in God's control, then really nothing is in God's control. Because it'll randomize through the, through the process, right? Right, philosophy man? Yeah. So, but how do you balance that with our agency, with our choice, with our freedom, with the way that we enter into the world? Because God calls us to choice. Do this, don't do that. Believe this, not believe that. Accept this. Run into this. Embrace this. Okay? And there are lots of those in Christianity. Don't run from them. They're beautiful. And don't be so arrogant that you think you've got to have it all figured out. Okay? How do you, how do you, how do you balance Jesus as fully God and fully man? Anybody got that one totally under control? Maybe you do. How do you, how do you balance justice and mercy? The most important concepts essentially within Christianity, right? We got, Jesus receives the justice of God on the cross, and we receive mercy by the blood sacrifice. Yeah, we, we got, think about that though, that's, that's a lot. How do you handle the Trinity? God is one in essence and three in persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One in essence, three in persons. Perfect harmony with each other and yet distinct. Got it? Yeah, yep, we got it. All right, I'm going to let the scripture speak here with a little brief commentary on it because I think, again, if I just let the... the <laughs> I had Garland read that one from Ecclesiastes because it was like, let your words before God be few, right? And there's another place where it's like, don't let there be a lot of teachers among you because you're an idiot and you're going to mess up. So I'm going to let the scripture speak here. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and he said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself, Job, like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you? when I laid the foundations of the earth. And then there's three chapters. And Job's like, I have spoken once, but I'm not going to speak twice. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to be quiet about that. The sovereignty of God. Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. That's true. I don't care what you think. That's true. The Lord's throne is established in heaven, and his sovereignty rules over everything. Deuteronomy. 32, now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. 
I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. These are heavy, aren't they? This is God saying he is God and you are not. And as soon as you figure that out, and as soon as I remember that, everything seems to fall into line, right? Because if Pluto thinks it's the sun and the sun should orbit around Pluto, forget it. Pluto's not even a planet anymore. And the world's going to revolve around a non-planet, you know? The sun's got to be the sun so that everything will be correct in its orbit. And unless the Lord establishes his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all, unless that is clean in your mind, you'll be forever bashing your head against the wall. promise you. Two more. Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds their wounds. Amen. He numbers the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. Finally, you know all the terrible things that happened to Joseph. He gets beat by his brothers. He gets thrown into a pit. He gets sold into slavery. He gets, I guess, the first recorded sexual harassment by Potiphar's wife and then gets thrown into jail for that. He's in prison. It's all a mess, right? Who's responsible? In the end, God is, right? Because God is sovereign. All those things happen to him, right? All those things happen to him. And yet here's what, when he finally sees these brothers that threw him in the prison, and they're terrified that he's going to have them killed because he's now the second in command of Egypt, he says, but as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. Joseph understood the sovereignty of God. He understood nothing happened to him. Kim has a phrase that she, um, she thinks I came up with, and I think she came up with, or maybe we just heard it somewhere, and it goes like this. Nothing happens to you that doesn't first go through the loving hands of God. And that's really hard when you're in the middle of a cancer or a death or a child that's sick or whatever. I, I get that. I get that. I've lived through those things. But I still believe it. I still experience it. That whatever's happening to me, I'm not going to waste my time flipping God off and being angry at him. I am going to cry out. I'm going to lament. I'm going to cry and I'm going to ache. And I'm going to say, God, why? God, fix this. Do something different. Change this. Or, or help me to, to work through it and live through it. I can also tell you, as the older person on Job, every one of those things have been worked for good in my life. As painful as they were, as awful as they were, at the time, a year later, 10 years later, I can look back and I can see him before me. I can see him behind me. I can see him working those things in a way that I, you know, I don't understand. And you don't have to be at peace with all that. And you don't have to be at peace today. But I just want to comfort you by saying God's there. He knows you. He loves you. He sees you. He sees your child that's hurting. He sees the things that are happening. And I pray that we can all come to that, right? We can all come to a place where we, we learn from what he is doing. Okay, last one. The storms and the trials and the pains will come. That's it. They're going to come. 
You know, we went through this crazy thing where we have the printing press in 1450. There's less than a billion people on the planet. And then we get this industrial revolution, and we get this medical revolution, and we get this uh, political revolution, and all of a sudden the population begins to grow and to explode. And in 1927, uh, there's a 2 billion people on the planet when my mom's born. When I'm born, there's 3 billion people on the planet. When my son's born, there's 5 billion on the planet. You see what I'm saying? Now there's, what, 8 plus? So we're in this kind of this rocket ship taking off. But with that, there's a thing called the printing press. And coming with the printing press, I know you're going to be so excited about this because it's such a sexy word. There's cross-indexing. Do you know what cross-indexing is? Oh, my gosh, it's so crazy. Because before, it's these little brains walking around, right, and not really connecting to each other. But now you've got to cross-index, and you could begin to connect subjects. Da, 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 da. It's what your phone does. It's what AI does, right? It goes through a million, two billion, three billion pieces of information, and it connects it all, and then it begins to make the, the right connection out of it. We're in cross-indexing hyper. My point of all that is... Um, that in the middle, we think because we're so smart that we can stop every pain. We can't. It's coming. It is coming. Okay? So the only thing for that is communion with God. When the storm comes, the only thing for it is to be tight with him. You see, it says that Noah walked with God. Right? Noah walked with God. So when the flood came, the real ark for Noah was his walking with God was his intimacy with God, was his relationship with God. And that walking with God built the ark that allowed him to survive the flood. Okay? And that's true with all the biblical people. Job, he knew God. Remember those four things I read you? He knew God in all those circumstances. Uh, Joseph knew God. Moses uh, Abraham was a friend of God. Samuel heard his voice as a little boy, right? Eli's like, what are you talking about? And he's hearing God's voice. David was a man after God's own heart. Okay. All right, a couple of things. Sometimes this verse is too familiar with us because, because we just heard it too much. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. We usually use that in the last five days of life or something, last day, Right? You're about to go through the valley of shadow of death and, and die, and God's going to be with you. In reality, the valley of the shadow of death is birth to time we die. Because this world is not our home. This world is not our home. It is, you know, and John says that, that Satan is the god of this world. There's brokenness here. There's sin there. There's hatred. There's violence. There's all kinds of things that haven't been redeemed yet. Paul says that creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. It wants to be renewed and healed and redeemed. This world is not our home. And so, but, but what is God's promise? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I better get it right, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay, that's the promise in the middle of that. All right. The accusation and the suffering we see in the opening of Job is a biblical pattern. It doesn't occur just in Job. Okay? Um, sin lies at the door, crouching, ready to pounce on Cain. Right? The very first real humans, not sure Adam and Eve are really human, but, but, but 
Cain and Abel, right? Because they're born. They come through the, you know, they come through the process. They're the first real humans, right? In some ways. Um, Satan is there right there, crouching, ready to take him down. And God says, hey, he's there. You better resist and you better rule over it. Or think of 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded, alert, vigilant, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see the presupposition there? You're going to suffer. The same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to himself will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this pattern of us facing things but God being there, of us resisting darkness, and yet him being there is consistent throughout the whole biblical text. That's just three examples of it. Great Puritan Thomas Brooks I'm thinking maybe you haven't read him. You'd have to be uber nerdy to have read him. But if you've read Thomas Brooks, this is what he says about communion. He says, Communion with God is a shield upon land, as well as an anchor at sea. It is a sword to defend you, as well as a staff to support you. Therefore, keep up your communion. Keep up your intimacy with God. Keep up your tightness with God. Keep up your relationship with him. All right. Conclusion. Okay. Just a couple of scriptures. So we have this sovereignty of God, this distance of God, this majesty of God, and we need his intimacy and his closeness. We need him to walk with us, right? For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature that is hidden from God, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we have to give account. Let me finish that scripture, Hebrews 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. For we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and with our trials, I might add. For he was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. And this is the kicker. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in time of need. And that's the answer, right? As we go through the Job things, because Christ has ripped the curtain and opened the Holy of Holies, because you're covered with the blood of the Lamb, you can go into the throne of grace and receive help in time of need. All right. Walk with God. Um. One more scripture. Therefore, whoever hears these things, sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descended. It just happened. It's coming, right? The floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house. All that's happening. Here's my encouragement to you. Walk with God. Fellowship with God. Ask God. Seek God. Knock. Cry out and never relent. Just keep knocking. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, guys. Um, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for you, for your love, for your son, for the way you cover us. 
And today, we want to come boldly before the throne of grace. And we want to receive this communion. And we want to be tight with you. Because we know the storm is coming. And we also believe that you are before us and behind us. Fill our hearts with faith as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.